Welcome to this episode of the Panthers Presence Podcast. I'm Jordan Klein. Thanks for tuning in today. So, like we've been doing, we're having a guest on, former Pitt player, coach on every week. So this week, we're joined by former Pitt forward Jerron Brown. Jerron, I got some great stuff from him. Jerron's a guy who was really, he was instrumental in the building of the Pitt program in the early 2000s, along with guys like Brandon Knight, Julius Page, Ricardo Greer, Ontario Lett. And those guys, one thing Jerron really talked about with those guys is the culture that they built. And it's very similar to what Jeff Cable is trying to do right now. He's trying to establish a culture. He's trying to establish the way he does things. And Jerron, in this interview, he's going to talk about how when Ben Howland got to Pitt in Jerron's first year, when he redshirted, he established the way that Pitt does things. He established that they were going to have physical practices. He established what that they were going to sacrifice for one another for the good of the team. And that was really, it was really insightful to hear this stuff from Jerron because it's so similar to what Jeff Cable is trying to build right now. And really getting a look on how it was successful shows you what Jeff Cable is really trying to do and trying to emulate what those teams were back in the early 2000s with Ben Howland and then Jamie Dixon. So here's Jerron Brown. We're joined by former Pitt forward Jerron Brown. Jerron, thanks for joining us today. Uh, thank you for having me. So you graduated from Pitt in 2004. Tell us a little bit about what you did, what you started doing and what you're doing now. Hello. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Tell us a little bit about what you started doing after you graduated a little bit and what you're doing now. Uh, when I first got out of University of Pittsburgh, I tried out with the uh, Memphis Grizzlies, and then I went overseas to Australia briefly and had an injury. I came back home, tried a few minor leagues, and after that, I went back to my home state, Kentucky, and got into the school system and been coaching high school and middle school and AAU. So Kentucky, your home state. So during your recruitment, you decommitted from Kentucky. You went to prep school, and then you ended up at Pitt. Um, if you could just describe to us how that all went down and what prompted you to go to Pitt after going to prep school for a year. Well, coming out of high school, yeah, I committed to Kentucky. Rick Latino offered me a scholarship. And um, my senior year, he opted to go to Boston Celtics. And I wound up going to prep school to play with my high school coaches, friend named Max Good, who played, uh, who coached at UNLV and Lori Mermont, a real good coach, and he also coached at Eastern Kentucky back in the day, so and when I got there, I got recruited by the University of Pittsburgh, Ralph Willard, who was a friend of Rick Pitino, and Troy Weaver, who is now a GM in the NBA. Um, you know, they was real good guys. I went on a visit to Pittsburgh, made me feel at home. Um, while on a visit, I met a guy named Brandon Knight, who is in the Hall of Fame right now, and we talked and stuff, and and just felt like it felt like a good place to go to start something, start a good good tradition. So, what was it about Pitt that really stuck out to you uh, during your recruitment? Well, when I was at Ralph Willard, he was a uh, he was a great coach, and he was just saying he's, I was going to be able to come in and play as long as I played hard and. I got to had to earn my spot, and I knew if I had an equal opportunity as other people, uh, I'd be able to play. But the unfortunate thing was I wasn't able to play for Ralph Willard because he left. And then a coach named Ben Howland came, 
I talked to him, um, and he seemed like he was a real genuine guy and a good coach. So, and I was taught of just going through all the recruiting again, and I just stuck it out there. And I redshirted my first year and got accustomed to the system and things, and turned out to just have a pretty good career playing for Coach Howland and also Coach Dixon. So your time at Pitt playing under Ben Howland was really the beginning of the rebuilding of the building of what the Pitt program was from 2000 to the mid 2010s. So when you're building a program, one thing coaches always talk about is culture. Jeff Capel, when he's trying to build the Pitt program right now, talks about it all the time. So if you could just give us some insight on what the culture was like around the Pitt program during that time and how Ben Howland was able to establish that culture to build a, a winning program. Well, he was coming from Northern Arizona, which was his motto was a uh, uh, shooting at the time, and uh, I we was going in the Big East, which was a little bit more physical. And my first year, we didn't make it to the to the tournament, to the Big East tournament. We played in the NIT, and uh, I think we wound up getting beat by Mississippi State. And the following year, we went to the Big East tournament, to the championship, and played against Boston College, and they was a lot stronger than us in every single. As soon as after that game, we knew we had to get stronger. And he, he told us that, and we came back to school. The next day, we started lifting, and sh- and it was on ever since. Like, we just got a lot stronger. And where it was just our motto, get more tougher and stronger. In the Big East. And... Tim. Hello? Oh, I'm, I was losing you a little bit. All right. So wait, let, me, let me start this. Um, So do you think establishing that toughness around the program uh-huh. led, to you, led to you guys being more yeah. successful on the court? And how do you think that allowed you to compete with some of the best teams in the Big East? Yeah, I think it um... – allowed us to compete against everybody that was good because we was a, we was tough and we played together. We didn't really care about who scored X amount of points. We was just all about winning. And everybody made One a thing sacrifice. When I talk and, to uh, people who are around the program during that time win, or even after you, is they say pit basketball was different than every other program just in terms of the toughness around the program, the culture around the program. What do you think people mean when they say pit basketball is different or was different? I think it was our togetherness and our toughness, and we knew what we had to do to win games. We really studied the films, and we watched film together, and just we was always around each other. We hung around each other after. Do you practice. think part of that togetherness on and the court so I think had to do with your friendship with your whole, teammates off the court? Together a whole lot more. Yeah, I think so. We was friends on the court, but we was friends off the court, but we knew when we was on the court, we had to compete. And even in practice, we, we might have been friends off the court, but in practice, we competed against each other. Yeah, the practices are something we, we people always talk so, about. So, so walk me through what, a, what a traditional practice would be like under Jamie Dixon or Ben Howland.
you know, first we would start off just, you know, getting loose, doing little drills, but we did a lot of competitions, four on four, five on five, three on three, everything was competitive. So if we knew if we could do you have one story came, that sticks out came, to you from those practices that maybe you could share with us? easy compared to practice. Yeah, actually, one me and one of my best friends out there was on the team with him, Brandon Knight. We was on opposite teams. Most of the time, we was on teams. He was, I was setting a pick, and he was coming through, and he, like, bulldozed me right in my face. And I remember swinging to him, and they broke it up, and everybody thought we was mad at each other. But after practice, we went and ate and laughed about it. But it's just, that was just our will to win. Like, me and him was probably one, two of the most competitive people on the team. We hated to lose, so we would do anything to win. But that was just, a that was just a, like, a good story of, like, how we was Dude, Did the coaches the ever try and break those fights up, or did they let and you guys settle on yourselves? Yeah, turned over to the game. I mean, they tried to, but sometimes, you know, they couldn't They couldn't get in there in time where punches is already thrown. They might say stop or anything, but at the heat of the moment. When yeah, if I'm Ben Howland or Jamie Dixon, I'm not trying to step in time, the middle of one of those fights in practice. And it's also for Brigham. <laughs> Just for their own sakes. So one thing, mentioning Brandon Knight, one thing that always stuck out to me about Brandon was his leadership yeah. abilities. And Brandon, he – he doesn't have – when you look at Brandon Knight's career, he didn't have the best numbers, but he was such a valuable player on the court. And part of that was due to his leadership. And how do you think Brandon's leadership affected you guys in a positive way? Well, him being our point guard, you know, he, he was a leader. And, like, he studied film a lot too, and he was real smart. So, you know, it would be some things – he would tell us during the game, like, he would know some things that was about to happen. Like, coming out of timeout, he would know it. That's how much he would stay those films. Like, he would know it, and he would let us know, and we would be right there ready for it. So, and he just led us. Like, if anybody got down, he so, would encourage him. switching stuff. gears for I mean, a second, get on YouTube, one thing that happened during your tenure, you played so three years under Ben Howland, and then after the 2003 season, he left to take the job at UCLA. Him leaving, a guy who would help build a program, who had just won a Big East championship, after losing the past two years, what was it like for you guys to have a coach who you had so much success with leave for UCLA? I mean, yeah, we was kind of upset, but we was also happy for him because he was able to go back home and coach where he was from in California. His, his mom and father was out there. So he get to play, uh, you know, be a little closer to him as well, and uh, that's like a dream job. UCLA with all the history they have. So, I mean, yeah, was upset. We was upset, but we was happy for him too. And then we was fortunate enough to not have much change. So got, when Ben uh, Howland left, coach, when did the rumors Jamie start Dixon circulating that he was coach, potentially so really leaving for UCLA? Was it before or after the NCAA tournament? Uh, I think I, I can't. I really think it was like the, the game before we played, but then when we got back from the game, when we got beaten the tournament, we had uh people. Do you think I those think rumors potentially affected about, you guys um, in that game against Marquette possibility in the going to UCLA? 
No, nah, I don't think it did. We because we we was focused and you know we was like upperclassmen, so we didn't let it bother us. But we was just we was wanting to win that game so bad. I know I was. So I after Howland left, Kentucky, like you said, there wasn't much change. Happen, Jamie Dixon gets the job and has a ton of success. But walk me through. I know the players had some involvement in Jamie Dixon becoming the next head coach, and how how significant was the voice of the players in the hiring of Dixon? Well, it was a while. At, well, after Dix Allen left, you know, some we didn't know who was going to get the coach. We heard rumors and things, and uh, we all got together. And I know I went in and talked to the president and the athletic director and told them that's what we wanted as a team because we've been so successful. We didn't want to change because it was a lot of our guys' senior year. And yeah, it was, we was fortunate for right them to listen to us and make they keep Jamie Dixon on. And he had, had a ton a of success at Pitt. So one thing I want to ask you about is playing at the Mecca, Madison Square Garden. You played in the Big East Championship all four years. You won. You finally got over the hump with the win in 2003. So if you could just walk walk us through what it's like to play at the world's most famous arena, Madison Square Garden. Oh, man, it's it's unbelievable. Like you said, it's the Mecca basketball. You watch TV, you see all the great games there in the Madison Square Garden, and then when you go in the locker room, you see all the pictures of the famous players and famous people that's been in the Madison Square Garden. So especially being from Kentucky and getting a chance to play there four years in a row. What was it like to finally get over the hump in 2003 and finally win your first Big East championship? What was that feeling like for you? I felt real good because the previous year we got beat maybe like on a last second three and then we and then we finally got a win that, that final year. We just put it we put the whole game together. As we was in that championship all four years, we just wasn't wasn't able to put the game put the whole game together. Even though the teams we were playing were real good, but we made a few minutes. So how about what was it like to play years, at the Peterson we, Event we Center in front of the Oakland Zoo, one of the best crowds in college basketball? Before every game, they flash the record on the screen. So just what is it like to play at the Pete with the zoo going wild, big opponent in town? And how how does that drive you to just compete that much more? With the fan support, it just makes you it makes you feel good that you got your fan support. Like we would see them, see most of the students a lot around on campus, and they would say they would come to the game and with the little Oakland Zoo shirts, and you know you just didn't want to let them down because if you see them every day, and if you lose them, you know they what's might it like when they flash the record the game, on the so screen before the game and you see that kid really never loses in this place. I mean, you were part of it those first two years, so. What's it like to know that that arena had such a story tradition back in the day of just winning? It feels good to know that I was a, I was a major part of that. I haven't been back uh, in a couple of years, but I see it on TV and things and hear about it, and it just it just feels good, you know, that I was able to start start that history there and. And I know soon Coach Capel will get the things going back, get back rolling there too. So I think 
Yeah, Coach Cable is definitely steering this in the right direction. Um, So you talked about playing at the peak, playing at MSG. How about playing on the road? The Big East, one thing it was always known for was wherever you were going, whether it was Providence, UConn, Georgetown, anywhere, you're always going to have a very rowdy crowd, tough road environments. So what, what's that like to go into, a, say, UConn, a Syracuse, West Virginia, and just that opposing teams just riling you? And what's, what's it like to just go into those atmospheres and play in those atmospheres? Uh, it's, it's fun too. I think being that we was a lot older and upperclassmen, that it didn't really rattle us. We looked at it as fun, and you know, just thought it was fun going in other places and winning and just. Is silencing the opponent's crowd one of the best feelings you can so we have as a basketball like player we playing at an opponent's arena? Yes, it, it, yeah, that's a real good feeling. What's the hardest place you, you had to play just doing in your four years right, at Pitt? They, they really can't say anything or do anything to stop you. Uh, we, I think we was number two, and Georgia was number one, and they beat us. That was a pretty hard place to play. We went down Georgia and played a 12 o'clock game. But Syracuse is probably the loudest Um I think they played. We played them. It was like about forty thousand there. I think we might have been number two, and they was ranked real high too. And um, that crowd was just that crowd was just awesome that day. And then yeah, the dome real it's really loud in there. The bright. So one other thing I want to ask no you about is so something really I see whenever I watch some of your old games is you always took pride in your defense and t- matching up with the other team's best player and just shutting him down. So doing that, did you take pride in that as a player, just that you could find the other team's best player regardless of position and just shut them down? Yeah, because I knew that's just like, we, you know, people got to make sacrifices. And, uh, you know, you give up points to play good defense and have energy on defense so you can win games. I always looked at it like if a – if my opponent averages 20 points and I hold them to 10, that's a plus 10 points for me. So if I had eight points in a game and they, and my opponent only had 10, so I just say I had that 10 to my eight, I say I had 18 points. I just look at it like that. You know, I just try to find different ways to challenge myself. And then our, our team was defense. Once again, thank you to Jerron Brown for joining us. I hope you guys really enjoyed that interview. I mean, it was great to hear from him, some insightful stuff. Uh, Jerron's a guy who's a tough guy, um, really just one of the guys who helped build that Pitt program, like I said earlier, and it was just great to hear from him on how Pitt was able to be so successful during that time. So one thing I feel I have to address is the City game. Pitt announced, I believe it was last week, that they will not be playing the City game this year after a one-year hiatus last year. Originally, Pitt agreed to play the game this upcoming season, but Jeff Capel backed out of that. Um, there, there, a lot of people, especially in the Pittsburgh media, the media guys, were not happy with this decision. A lot of people were more than not happy. They were infuriated by Pitt's refusal to play the city, city game. But personally, I think people are making way too much of a big deal out of this. It really, it really is not, it should not be a big deal because... Jeff Capel was brought in here to have long-term success for this program. 
What Jeff Capel does in the non-conference schedule should not be based on any tradition, especially considering that Pitt-Duquesne, it's not really a tradition, it's not really a rivalry. Yes, it might be good for the city of Pittsburgh, but Pitt's won something like 38 of the last 40 meetings, so it's not like there's some great tradition with that rivalry. It's not just a traditional rivalry. I mean, as a Pitt fan, I think most Pitt fans, especially ones who don't live in Pittsburgh, don't really care that much about the city game. And for those reasons, Jeff Capel should not be obligated to play this game. It's not like the Pitt-Penn State football rivalry, where Pitt and Penn State are both Power 5 schools. The rivalry has been competitive for the past 50 years or maybe even more. And Jeff Capel's job, especially in the non-conference schedule, he's an obligation to prepare his team for ACC play and have his team compete. And do he should do what he thinks is best for this team, short-term and long-term. If he thinks playing Duquesne is best for the team long-term in the City game, then I'm good with that. I think if, if Jeff Capel thought playing Duquesne was going to be good for the team, he would do it. But clearly, Jeff Capel doesn't think Duquesne playing Duquesne in the City game is good for the long-term success in the t- for, the, for the team's long-term su- success in ACC play because he's not doing it. And I trust Jeff Capel. I don't think Jeff Cable's a guy who wants to make a media stunt. I mean, that's clearly not who he is. He's not a guy who just wants to make a big splash in the media, get all the media riled up. He wants to do what is best for the program. And if not playing Duquesne, if he believes not playing Duquesne is best for the program, then so be it. I mean, it's his decision. It's his program. His number one duty as the coach at the University of Pittsburgh, his number one obligation, thing that he gets paid to do, is win basketball games. If he thinks not playing Duquesne in the City game will help Pitt win more basketball games, which is what his responsibility is, then so be it. It's his program. He gets to make these decisions. He clearly thinks that not playing Duquesne will help Pitt win more basketball games in the long run, so he's not playing the game. It's as simple as that. It's not like there's some huge traditional rivalry here, as I was saying. This isn't Pitt, Penn State. This isn't Pitt, West Virginia. This is Pitt, Duquesne. Duquesne has been the laughingstock of the A-10, not this year, but of, for a while now. Duquesne is not a very good basketball team. They're not a Power 6 school. It's not, it's not a big, big-time rivalry. This rivalry has no national implications. Yes, it might be good for the city of Pittsburgh. Yes, people might like, yes, people attend the game. But this is not a very big deal, guys. Jeff Capel is doing what's best for the program, or what he believes is best for the program, by not playing the city game. Frankly, Jeff Capel doesn't know the Pittsburgh media anything. Who The, Pits, the P- members of the Pittsburgh media who have constantly criticized him for not playing this game. He doesn't know them anything. Why should he care if what they think about him not playing this game? There's clearly a reason why he's not playing this game, and it's because he cares about the... He needs to make sure the team's as successful as possible in ACC play. It's that simple. He doesn't, he doesn't owe to the city of Pittsburgh to play the city game. Yes, Jeff Cable's trying to restore the tradition. He got West Virginia back on the schedule, which had already been done with Kevin Stallings. Um, he's trying to bring back those older guys like the Jerron Browns of the world to, to have an impact on the program. And he's reaching out to a lot of the older alumni base who played during those glory years. But playing Duquesne should not should not be high on the list of problems with Jeff Cable. There's a lot of other things that you, that you can rightfully criticize Jeff Cable for. But playing Duquesne? Come on. 
people care about this game so much more now that Pitt's not playing it. And that just shows that it's really not a relevant game and it shouldn't be this important to all these people. So that's really all I have to say about the City game. I mean, you guys obviously know how I feel on it. It's completely blown out of proportion for not playing this game. The media is blowing this out of proportion. But thanks for listening to the podcast today. Next week, we're going to be joined by former Pitt receiver Aaron Matthews. So I hope you can tune in. So, and uh, thanks for listening today.